You enjoy that this morning? Man, praise the Lord. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to uh, Revelation chapter 4 uh, or Revelation chapter 3, and we'll get there here in just a second. Uh, but over the past couple of weeks, uh, we have been discussing a few things uh, about getting involved as a church. And last week, I kind of issued a challenge, and uh, this week is going to be no different, okay? Uh, so let me start with just a story of understanding. This is uh, kind of an old school way to preach with an opener illustration. Uh, but I think it sets the tone for where we're going to go this morning. A crow was sitting on a tree doing nothing all day. A small rabbit saw the crow and asked him, can I also sit like you and do nothing all day long? The crow answered, sure, why not? So the rabbit sat on the ground below the crow and rested. All of a sudden, a fox appeared, jumped on the rabbit and ate it. Now you ask, Pastor, that's a weird story to start out with. But here's the moral of the story. Many Christians are watching the world rest when we should be actively doing the work of the Lord. Stop getting eaten by laziness of the world. We're distracted by what others are doing or not doing. We know that the Lord has called us for his service. And the church said, Listen, we've got to stop looking at what others do and measuring that as the standard. God has given us a standard of what we should be doing and how we should be doing it. Listen, too many times we're tempted to go, hey, I just want to be lazy. And listen, we are getting devoured over and over and over as individuals, as believers, as Christians, and being ruled ineffective. So this morning, I want to talk to you about a spiritual problem that we understand. Uh, How many of you are good starters? How many of you start things really well? How many of you finish those things equally as well? Okay. How many of you, look, this is not a time to elbow your spouse. Okay. Uh, We'll save that for afterwards. But how many of you would say, man, there is one project at my house right now that still needs to be done. Look, don't look at your spouse. Okay. This is not the time to shame or guilt or any of those things like that. But listen, we can be very good starters, but sometimes finishing is this difficult struggle. Look, we moved into a place a couple years ago, and there's still things on that checklist of going, man, I just, I'm ready to get these things done and move past. And my wife would wholeheartedly say amen. Uh, But when we think about this, sometimes we look at this. How many of you have set New Year's resolutions? Good. I feel like we've got a great group of people here. Uh, (laughs) How many of you have kept those New Year's resolutions? Anybody? Man, you think about these. But in our spiritual understanding, we make short-term adjustments rather than complete lifestyle changes. We say, okay, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to give up this or I'm going to quit this. And then three months later, we're right back in the midst of it and nothing has really changed within our heart and our life. This morning, I want to give us just a little bit of a reality check and ask you, are you spiritually stronger than what you were a year ago? Is there a time in your life where you were closer to the Lord than you are right now? Think about it. Is there a time in your life when you shared Christ with people more than you do right now? 
Is there a time in your life when you invited people to church and cared about their spiritual condition more than what you are right now? Look, the reality is that for some, you may still believe, but you've kind of lost that passion You remember when you first accepted Christ and and everything was just kind of new and fresh and this grace and this mercy was continually just overwhelming you going, I cannot believe what God had done for me. And you almost couldn't get to the point where you had to tell somebody else, listen, you won't understand, you won't know, but Jesus Christ has done something incredible in my life. You have to listen to what he has done. But for most That's a distant memory. Maybe you're here and you still believe, but just have lost that passion. See, one of the things that happens in our spiritual walk a lot of times is that if we get rejected or we don't think that people want to hear about it anymore because it's not as as wholeheartedly passionate for us anymore. I tell you that the state of the church is there. It would be an interesting study, an interesting dynamic to go through our community and say, how many times have you been invited to Pooler Bible Church? Now, hopefully all of you that were here were invited at some point. But the reality is that there is a lost and dying generation of people that need to know Christ and need people to go to them. So I love that scripture doesn't leave us alone. It deals with us in this exact same situation. And in Psalm 42, verse four and five, he gives us this kind of warning, this this we're not as strong as we used to be. And I love what the psalmist says here because he cries out and he kind of gives this understanding of where he is. And he says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul how I would go with the throng and lead them in possession to the house of God. What he's telling them in the throng is a multitude of people, that there were tons of people that would be there to worship the Lord, that when he went to the house of God, it was crowded. There were glad shouts and songs of praise. And he says a multitude keeping festival. And then the psalmist kind of gets to his, his feeling portion of things and he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? He said, and why are you in turmoil within me? He says, the cure is this, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. The reality is that we need kind of this renewed sense of going in the direction that God's called us to go. We need this awakening to take place in our hearts and in our lives so that we would see what's truly important. It's interesting that the psalmist was a little bit depressed. He was reminiscing of a better time. Look, anybody reminisce every once in a while? Look, it was neat. My wife and I were able to go to uh, Calvary Savannah Christian basketball. My wife played basketball for Calvary. And as we're standing up there in the, the, the bleachers, she's reminiscing of her days playing there. Man, but if coach would have called Melissa to come in and play last night, <laughs> I'm sure she's still got it, but it probably wouldn't have been pretty today. 
So we reminisce and we go back and we think about the things of our past and we think, man, how great was that? But I ask you this, what if the greatest time of your spiritual life are the days ahead of you? Why don't we focus on the things that we can adjust and the things that we can change now so that we can see God continue to move? Look, I get a little depressed just picking up a basketball. Do you know how hard it is to dribble and run at the same time at 45 years old? Dude, it's tough. Because in my mind, I can do all the moves I could do when I was 15 years old. And it looks like this slow motion, pano, old man going, what is he doing? But we have to look forward. This renewed hope, this renewed hope in God that he's requesting and seeking is not in people. He's not going, God, change the people around me. He's not asking God to change society. He's not asking him to change the culture. He's not asking them to change a job. He's not asking them to change the family that's close to him. He's not asking God to change a church. He is simply saying, God, change me. I love what he closes with as a praise God for your salvation. I love in Revelation, and we don't, we don't study this as much, and sometimes I think we should study it way more. But to understand the context of what the book of Revelation was and why it's taking place this way, is that God revealed to John, and he said, write these things. As I reveal the heavens to you, as I reveal this place of glory to you, write specifically these things. So when you look at the book of Revelation, it's sometimes a little bit confusing, but there's moments of clarity like this in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1. In the church that he's addressing, he's addressing seven churches. And as he addresses these seven churches, he's pointing out the flaws that are within that church. And he's telling them, you need to fix these things or destruction is coming to you. The exact same thing is true of us. And so the church that we look at this morning is the church of Sardis. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1, the second part, he starts off with an emphatic understanding. He says, I know your works. I want you to stop just for a minute and think. Over the last week, over the last month, What are the works that I have done for the Lord? What are the things that I have done? And look, the Lord is revealing to him, I know your heart, I know what you've done, I know your works, and they don't measure up to my standard. See, we've believed in this lie That to be a part of a church and to be a part of Pooler Bible Church or any other church means that we just show up on Sundays. But look, that is the bare minimum standard for believers. He says, 
I know your works. Then he says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. God, please don't let that be this church. He says in verse 2, as emphatically as he possibly could, he says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your works complete in the sight of God. Man, I I love that the pointed nature of this passage speaks to us individually. He says, I know your individual works. I know your heart. I know your reputation about being alive. But what's happened is you have become dead. He says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. And then he says, remember then what you received and heard. Listen, he's giving them the reminiscing, the understanding of what, was, what has come to them, which is the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He says, remember what you have heard and keep it and repent. That term repent means to completely turn away. He says, turn away from the things that you're involved with, things that you're doing, and turn completely back towards God. See, what had happened in this church is that they had lost their focus. There was a a different God that they were worshiping at this time. They were continually turning back to that God, and they were continually mesmerized and taken away from what God had called them to do. I love this in verse 4. He says, yet you, still, yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. Now, the, the visual imagery that he's giving here is something that their garments, that their reputation was not tainted, not stained. Now, I ask you this. What is your reputation right now? Man, you want to do a fun survey, a fun understanding? Ask five people around you and say, hey, what is my reputation? And then tell them, please don't lie to me and please don't tell me what I want to hear. For some, that reputation would be, man, I know you attend church, but I don't know much about your spiritual walk. It would be, hey, I know that you go to church a couple of times a year, but I don't think it's really that important to you. For some, it would be, man, you go every Sunday, but you never talk to anybody about your relationship with God. Is this something that's really real to you? He says, those that have not soiled their garments, that have ruined their reputation... And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He says in verse 5, The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
The interesting thing is that the church in Sardis is called the Titanic Syndrome. How many of you have seen the movie Titanic or heard the story in history or whatever has taken place that you know about the Titanic? There's an interesting scene that takes place in the, in the Titanic. You remember when the boat is beginning to go down and the ship is kind of starting to crack in half? You remember people are scrambling for lifeboats, trying to find somewhere that they can get off of this ship. There's an interesting scenario because all of a sudden, the, the person that's in charge on the boat tells the musicians, hey, keep playing. Act like nothing is wrong. I think sometimes in the state of the church, we keep playing the music, we keep singing the songs, and all the while there's a world around us that's lost and dying and going to hell, and we're acting like they don't even exist. Listen, God has called us to load people in the lifeboats. He has called us to make sure that everybody knows his name. I remember the scene on that movie of maybe a a rich elderly lady that, that just stops in the middle of the boat and listens to the song and says, oh, how pretty. And I'm sitting there going, Lady, you're about to die. Who cares what the music sounds like? I love that he uses the term wake up. Strengthen what remains. Look, the reason I have been so passionate over these past couple of weeks of of speaking to you is that, listen, we as Pooler Bible Church need to wake up realize there's a community that needs the name of Christ. Can you imagine knowing where the lifeboat is and leaving everybody behind? And we should be gathering people going, hey, come with us. We know Jesus. Can you imagine seeing people lost and dying, suffering and not going to them. It's interesting that he identifies a few names. The reality is that in a church, the majority of what takes place is called the 80-20 rule. And the way this works is typically 20% of the church does 80% of the work. That shouldn't be at this place. We should have 100% of people fulfilling what God has called us at all points. And the church says, So let me give a little bit of clarity. We've talked about what we shouldn't do. We've talked about the psalmist that's depressed, that's struggling to get to this place. And then in a moment of clarity, Paul writes to Timothy a young believer, and he gives them clarity on how this should look and how active they should be. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14 through 19, he says, remind them of these things and charge them before God. He said this, 
not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Can I tell you something that I'm praising the Lord for at Pooler Bible? We don't fight amongst ourselves. Listen, we shouldn't. We should lovingly encourage each and every one of us that's around here. Do you know what turns people off more than anything? Nobody wants to be a part of a church that's fighting. Look, our job is to preserve unity. Then he tells us verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Listen to this. He tells us to do our best. One of the things that has become rampant within the Christian community is that we do things halfway. We start something but don't finish. We kind of get, we we lack motivation and when we see everybody's not with us, we stop. He tells us very clearly, he says, do your best. Look, as Christians, as believers, we should be actively doing our best. I'm going to say it until y'all amen. We as a church should be doing our best. I'm going to say it until you amen like you mean it. We as a church should be actively doing our best. All right. I hope these next five points aren't that hard. Just kidding. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. And listen to what he says. A worker. It's interesting. He doesn't say a listener. It's interesting that he doesn't say just show up. His terminology is very specific. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Look, to be able to rightly handle the word of truth means that you have to know what's true and what's false. Then he says, I love this part, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. He says, and their talk will spread like gangrene. And then he says, two names of people. He said, you want an illustration? You want to know people that do this? Here they are. Hymenius and Philetus. Look, don't name your kids these names. It is not good. These are people that you don't want to be associated with. And listen to Paul's boldness. And look, look, we as believers need to know the people that are taking people away from truth. And look, we have to lovingly tell them, hey, don't listen to them. They're not telling you the truth. And what is the truth measured by? The word of God. Man, you guys are awake now. I'm ready to preach. 
He talks about Hymenaeus and Philetus. He says, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. He said they are upsetting the faith of some. Listen to what he says. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who's, who are his and letting everyone who names the name of Lord, the Lord depart from iniquity. He says, look, if you are going to be my child, if you're going to be my worker, you got to stop sinning. You got to depart from it. You got to get it out of your life. And I love what he does here in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22, just over a couple of few verses. He says, let me be very clear on the direction that I need you to go. He says, so flee youthful passions. Now, anybody remember when they were asked as a kid what they wanted to be when they grew up? For me, I wanted to be an NBA player. We see where that landed me. I wanted to be Larry Bird so bad. I mean, I, I really thought we had a lot of similarities. We don't. But my youthful passion was this. I would get outside and I would be shooting a free throw and I'd, the game is on the line and I'd have to make it. I'd miss it three times and there'd be lane violations. I'd stage all of this and put this together and say, man, here it is. Jeff Hubbard with the Boston Celtics getting ready to win their second title. He shoots. Oh, he was fouled. I never made it on the first try. Anybody? Do you know that at 45 years old, I don't go out to a basketball court and try to recreate my moment? I just try to beat my kids. That's it. Simple. Can I get an amen there? (laughs) It's getting harder. It's getting harder. Flee youthful passions. He says, as you flee those Pursue these things, righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. So let me ask you, if you didn't receive one of these as you came in, I'd ask, I'd ask you just to slip up your hand, and uh, Kevin and David and those guys will make sure that you get one. Uh, If you're a guest, this isn't something that I'm putting on you as of yet, uh, but it would be a good thing for you to look at because this is who we are as a church. Last week, I challenged you and I gave you a pamphlet of jobs and job descriptions and how to get involved and some of the work that needs to be done at this church. And so we've put this card together so that you can put action to it. See, I think one of the things that's lacking is that we talk about all the things that we're going to do, but we don't actually put an action plan together to actually do said things. So the reality is, this morning, this is the action plan. When you sign up for something on this, 
We're going to ask you to actually do it. We're going to say, we need your involvement. We need your help. Look, the reality is this. God's called us to reach this city and reach this community. And if y'all still want me as your pastor, I'm going to motivate you and charge you and push you as much as I possibly can. Amen. Look, when you look around this room this morning, you realize that we're almost full. Man, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. But that comes with a whole new set of responsibilities. Going to two services, more children's volunteers, more adult volunteers, more help with the worship team, more help with cleaning in between those things. There's so many tasks that need to be put together for us to continue to grow. And the only way we do that is by you taking a step. Now, here's the reality. This means that this becomes a priority over a lot of the things in your life that are currently a priority. Look, I timed this perfectly for hunting season to be over, football season to be over. Oh, you'll amen that one, huh? I see where we are as a church. Every time at this year, I go, man... Hunting season's over, football season's over. What do I do? Ding, ding. <laughs> this is it. But I want you to understand, this doesn't stop when hunting season begins. <laughs> Two of you good. We've got to change the culture. We have to stop looking at it as volunteering. This term has become rampant in our society. We volunteer at soup kitchens. We volunteer for this and we volunteer for this. But this is a singular thing that we do. What we're talking about is serving the Lord. This is a lifestyle of commitment. This is setting other things aside and doing what God has called us to do. This means not getting distracted with other things and when you have a responsibility, you not only show up, but you do it well. Amen. Man, I am so tired of seeing people that sign up for something at the church and go, I'm here. Go home. Amen. Amen. Really. If you don't want to do it well, this should be our motivation. Amen. Imagine. No, I have the luxury of, I've done this for, I think, 12 years at this church. Been a youth pastor before that. Imagine if I came in here on a Sunday morning and I was like, didn't have much time this week, guys. But you know what? Let's thumb through this thing and just open it and see what God says this morning. Do you know that most sermons take about six to eight hours a week? 
for the 30 to 40 minutes that I get to speak them. If you want to actually talk about the church of Sardis, I would love to tell you all the things I've studied this week. But I do that because I take seriously what God has called me to do. And I promise you, I want to show up every week and speak the word of God in a way that it captures your heart, it motivates you to live, and it completely changes your life. But it doesn't matter if you're a greeter at the door, somebody that works in the children's ministry, you should come with that same zeal, that same fire, that same fervor. I love the fact that Chad got up here and led worship this morning. And I watched him coach his heart out last night. His voice on that last song, I don't know if you noticed it. You had to sing more. But he's still here, ready to worship, ready to do what God's called him to do. And look, you are so blessed to hear his voice instead of mine. The biggest amen of the day goes to that. So let me close with this. I'm going to ask you to fill this out. I'm going to ask you to put it at the altar. Here we go. He's making us do something we're not comfortable with. I find this fun. Because an altar is a significant place. It's a place where we say, God, I am going to commit to you. I'm going to fulfill what you've called me to do. And look, we've been strategic. We talked about it one week. We gave you the jobs the next week, and now we're giving you the action plan this week. So I want you to understand, if you're a guest, I'm not trying to put a high-pressure sales pitch on you. I'm not trying to get you involved in something that you're not a member of yet. Come to our starting points class the first week in February, and we would love to pitch these things again. But I do want you to understand, there's a lot of people in our church that have been sitting idle for far too long. And it's time to change that culture. So my challenge to you this morning as the worship team sings, they're going to sing a simple song, God is so good. Just a simple song. And if you truly believe that he is that good, I would ask you to bring these forth. And look, we're going to work on these over the next two weeks. Try to put together a plan and an action plan, a volunteer coordinator that will help you on every front. But it starts with your commitment. It starts with what you're going to do. So I challenge you this morning. Stop giving half efforts. Stop giving God the leftovers. Stop volunteering and start serving. If everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes. Dear Father, I come to you. Lord, knowing the burden of this message and Lord, knowing that I've pushed and I've pushed and I've pushed and Father, I hope that your Holy Spirit has worked all over these folks this morning. 
Lord, may we take seriously righteousness, faith, love, the things that you've called us to be a part of. Father, may we not become the church of Sardis. That it seems like it's alive, but it's in in the hearts of the people it's dead. Father, please work on the people in this congregation this morning and help them to take a step, a step of boldness or that they would rearrange their lives, that they would take seriously what you have called them to do. Lord, I pray for our city, the city of Pooler, South Effingham, Bloomingdale, the surrounding areas that we can reach. Father, move us, move our hearts. Lord, help us to be bold. Help us to look for opportunities to share your love with people. Father, be glorified in our work, that we would be workers, that we wouldn't be lazy, that we wouldn't be watchers, that we wouldn't let anybody sway us or swerve us from what the truth is, that we would be wholeheartedly committed to you and who you've called us to be. Father, maybe you be glorified in everything that we do this morning. In Christ's precious and only name we pray.